0: Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin
1: Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 20 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today is one of the best pure wrestlers in the business, and that's why he's a participant in the tournament to crown an ROH pure champion. He is Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. Tracy, welcome to the show. Kevin,
0: thank you for having me. What a pleasure to be here for episode 20. A nice, even number. Let's start this next 10 episodes off.
1: Great. Oh, I like the way you think. I like the way you think. Yes. Well, no spoilers here, but uh, we know that you returned to the ring at the recent set of Ring of Honor television tapings. It's the first in-ring action uh, under the ROH banner since the end of February. So how did it feel to get back in the ring after all this time? Um,
0: I mean, I was pleasantly surprised with how it actually felt to be back in the ring. The leading up to it was another story. I mean, it's like I haven't even been in a wrestling ring in six months because, um, you know, we didn't even have the events in, uh, in March. So. I mean, it felt like it was my first match leading up to it. Like, I I haven't felt that kind of, like, um, sort of uncertainty and uh, nerves going into a wrestling match in as long as I can remember. Like, maybe since my first one. Um, Yeah, it's just like, without, you know, physically doing something for for that long, you sort of question, like, how it's going to be. Um, and, you know, normally I'd be able to get in a ring and train and, and roll around and everything before, um, the event. Like if I was coming back from an injury, um, which, which I've done before, you know, I've gone like eight months without wrestling, um, coming back from an injury, but I broke my arm when I was pretty young in wrestling. But even then, I mean, you get to, you know, go back to training, get in the ring, um, get, get off the rust and everything. Uh, but this time I didn't have that opportunity because, you know, everything is very locked down and I've especially been very careful when it comes to um, COVID and everything. You know, I, I live in New York city and so I've taken the quarantine super seriously and um, yeah. So leading up to it, a lot of nerves, a lot of, lot of questioning a lot of um, pacing around the quarantine hotel room (laughs) because (laughs) even before actually getting in the ring, you know, we had several days, of, um, isolation, waiting for test results and everything like that, um, in the bubble. So plenty of time to just sort of sit with your own thoughts. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's, uh, muscle memory. I want to say it's like riding a bike, but like, I'm really bad at riding bikes. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's all in there. So like, as, as soon as I got back in the ring, um, you know, it, it definitely a little rusty, um, felt a little, you know, my mind was a little slower than I would like it to be. But uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised with, with how easy I was able to snap back into things. And I, and I think a lot of people felt the same way. Uh, from what I was able to see um, from other wrestlers on the shows, um, you know, everybody looked on point. Everybody looked crisp. So I, I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised with how everybody snapped back into it.
1: Well, you may not be good at riding bikes, but you're definitely very good at wrestling. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's the only. I, I try to use analogies, but it's like, uh, what, am, what else am I good at? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, you talked about, um, you know, the apprehension and everything beforehand, but, you know, then eventually the muscle memory kicks in. I guess once the bell rang and you locked up, I mean, did it kind of just sort of feel like, i use the bike analogy again, like um, getting back on the bike and, you know, you never forget how to ride kind of thing?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting how that works. I mean, it's like all that stuff is just in there. It's, it's just, it's been, you know, drilled in there. Um, and uh, it was funny. I was thinking because, you know, we do the Code of Honor and Ring of Honor, especially in the Pure Tournament. And it's um, standing in the ring with um, my first round opponent, when I reached out and shook his hand uh, right before the bell, I mean, that was the first time I, I shook a man's hand in in six months, let alone, uh, you know, wrestled somebody and had that really? much sort of physical struggle and contact with somebody. So um, let alone not, not wrestling for that long, just not, you know, being even around that many people for that long is like a, a, another sort of um, factor to take into the ring with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything, you know, sort of snaps back. Of course, I, I look back on, you know, everything I did. And I think, you know, I could have done this better or that better, but I do that regardless, even if I've been wrestling week in and week out. um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think everybody, I think every, every performer, every athlete, no matter what, not just in wrestling, I think um, just in life in general, I think whatever you do, you always look back and say, ah, I could have done that better. But I think, you know, that's how, that's how, you know, we're all our own toughest critics. So I think that's uh, that's not necessarily a, a bad way to be. Um, you talked a little bit about being in the bubble and I was going to ask you about that. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about all of the protocols and the testing and being in the bubble and what that whole experience was like?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, it was super interesting and uh, you know, it, I had a mixed feelings on it, I guess. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, um, especially when you're sort of leading up to an athletic contest, you know, you have to kind of um, change how you're getting ready for it and everything. I mean, you know, trying to do like mobility drills in a hotel room. um, Because, you know, there were times where we weren't even allowed to, you know, schedule a time to use the hotel gym because we didn't have our test results back. And, um, you know, even though there's some adjustments to be made um, with how we're doing things, I was just so, um, I I felt so positively about how many protocols were being taken um, and, and about how the company was um handling everything because you know, that's that's what we have to do to, to do this safely and um, I really appreciated that they made sure that you know everybody f- sort of felt comfortable um, you know beyond any doubt and and so uh, as as sort of strange and uh, isolated and and far from the norm as it was, I really appreciated how um, stringent all the protocols were because it uh it, it took out You know a different sort of nerves where you know nobody was worried about like is what we're doing even right is what we're doing even safe um that was taken out of it so everybody could could put their full focus on the tournament and on whatever it was they had to do um that week when it came to wrestling so uh i was i was really happy with the protocols and i mean you know it was an interesting experience and um i i think it went well i think it was a success if i have to say so
1: well you brought up an interesting point when you mentioned the handshake Um, that's something that we just so much take for granted. And obviously that's a staple of ring of honor with the code of honor, certainly in the pure tournament, but yeah, I don't think we'll ever quite look at shaking hands the same way ever again, after, you know, what we've been going through with this pandemic. But I guess the reassuring thing is that, you know, you're shaking, shaking the hand of a person who has been under very stringent testing and protocols. So you can at least feel confident about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with shaking hands, especially, I mean, in wrestling, it's like the whole thing. It's like, um, you know, that has an effect on wrestlers in their whole life. Like when, when I find myself in like social situations outside of wrestling, I've got this like mentality drilled into me that like I need to shake everybody's hands just from being in so many wrestling locker rooms. And so, you know, to be in a wrestling locker room and in a wrestling situation and you know, you don't have that same atmosphere of going around shaking everybody's hands. It's definitely, it's gonna change the way things are going forward. And and I think, you know, not only just in wrestling, but in everything, I think this whole situation is going to break a lot of um, sort of norms and standards that we take for granted that maybe aren't necessarily um, the best, you know, like we, we all do things a certain way because we're all creatures of habit. And we all sort of have to follow our social protocols. And and I think a lot of those are shifting and changing. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that affects, you know, specifically what, what I do professional wrestling um, coming out of this and going forward.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. I think any of us that have been inside a wrestling locker room or backstage understand the importance of uh, and the etiquette of shaking hands. Maybe once we uh, get up and running again, full time and maybe the handshake will be replaced by a fist bump or an elbow bump or something like that maybe the yeah or just a
0: wave an acknowledgement a you know it's, there you go. i would i would love to see professional wrestling get away from the um <clears throat> how how seriously we we take the handshake to be honest i mean you know we're all adults um we're all humans we're all coworkers we all we all show each other respect and you know that doesn't need to take one specific form and if you don't do it in that specific way then you're doing it wrong you know uh, I think we could all loosen up a little bit, and uh, you know, just as long as we're showing respect for everybody, and, and you know, nobody's uh, acting you know holier than thou or or anything like that, um, because you know that that is important in wrestling. That we all feel you know uh, on the same page. I think that's a lot of what the handshake is: is that everybody feels comfortable with everybody else because we are um, you know putting our safety in the hands of all of our coworkers. Um, in many ways, I mean, on a show. You know, outside of this, the time of, of COVID, where we have all these protocols, even if you're not um, wrestling somebody directly, if you're on a show with them, you're you're putting your safety in their hand by the way that they, um, you know, carry themselves, uh, the way that they treat the event that you're on, the hygiene that they bring into the event that you're on. So um, I think you know these are the things that are important. Less so the just um, action of a, of a handshake which right. is just a gesture. You know, I, I think what's what's really important is the respect. And as long as we have that, maybe we can finally get away from this um, handshake, you know, protocol <laughs> that we've had in wrestling for so long.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of pressure because if you don't, sometimes if you you uh, inadvertently forget to shake someone's hand or you think you shook their hand and you didn't, you know, then there can be heat and there's all kinds of things with the handshake. One last handshake question. Uh, what's your handshake's preferred style? Do you... Do you do the wrestler's handshake kind of the real light one that shows you know hey I, i'm I'm a light worker, or do you do more of the firm handshake
0: i I go for a regular human handshake you no. know not not super firm where it's like weird, but like i I don't know I was always taught that like the whole super light wrestler handshake thing is like kind of uh passe it's kind of a thing of the past I mean it's like you you kind of feel it out you know especially when I was first starting out I would kind of like see what the other person is doing and, and then go with that because like like you said there's a lot behind the handshake in wrestling you don't want to offend anybody you don't want to rub anybody the wrong way especially when I was young and I was starting out so I would, I would feel it out then but I mean you know even even then you'd come across a lot of people in the locker room where you'd shake their hand that if you are kind of naturally doing that like loose wrestler handshake they'd be like you know come on shake my hand like we, we don't need to do that like it's this is this is weird why are we doing this let's just shake each other's hands so, so um i think there has been evolution already even the handshake is in that most people that i shake hands with now it's very rare nowadays that you come across one of those loosey-goosey old school uh worker handshakes
1: yes it's definitely old school uh quick <laughs> quick story I interviewed uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin back in 1998, and it was an in person interview. And I didn't understand that, I had never heard, you know, this is 22 years ago, I really didn't know about the wrestler's handshake. So when I shook Steve's hand, he gave me that really light, dead fish kind of handshake. And I was taken aback. I didn't know, like, I was like, what does he just not want to shake my hand, or what is this all about? Then I later learned that that was old school, and that's, you know, a signal that that I work light. So I figured it out later. At first, I was like, man, Stone Cold's got kind of a wimpy handshake. Like I expected a firm, you know, he's going to squeeze my hand or something. So that was, that was my introduction to the wrestlers handshake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting, crazy thing, because that's exactly a situation like that where like, when you take that, you know, outside of wrestling, it's very strange. (laughs) (laughs) It comes across very strangely, which I guess is just one of those things where, you know, it, it it is a different time and and I totally understand why it existed when it existed. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's always an evolution in in how we do things. And I think it it seems like most people have kind of got away from that.
1: All right, Tracy, I wanted to ask you about, um, how you're feeling physically. You had some time off. I know you were kind of beat up in 2019. You worked through a lot of injuries. Is this the best you felt from a, a physical standpoint in a long time? Um, in a long time, yes,
0: for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I think a lot of every wrestler pretty much sort of battles with, you know, nagging injuries and stuff like that, but sometimes they just kind of stack up in a way that holds you back more than they do at other times. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I saw some headlines come out from another interview I did that were, it was like one They, they made it seem like one of the main things I was talking about was how injured I was in 2019. And it's like, you know, I don't want to come across like that. Every wrestler's injured. Everybody's walking around hurt. Everybody's working hurt. It's part of the job. Um, so, you know, it's it's totally fine. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, this is uh, certainly probably the best physically that I've felt in some time. Um, I'm not feeling like I need to wear uh, the shoulder brace um, for every match. I'm not feeling like, you know, things are necessarily holding me back. I feel like I've got the framework now to really build on something and, uh, you know, move forward without you know worrying about these nagging injuries, which is great. And the time off certainly helped with that. You know, it's... Um, I think we sometimes take for granted how much we're putting our bodies through uh, as wrestlers. And I, I mean, I think that's another great thing about working for Ring of Honor, honestly, is that um, you know, they, they have um, a really nice schedule for the wrestlers where, where you do have time to recover. And, and I think that's you know, something that you know, we can't take for granted is that time to recover because that's how you get the longevity in your career. I Think is being in touch with with how your body is and not ignoring it for the sake of um, you know making it to the next booking and not having to do that is uh, is a really great opportunity for all of us that are currently under an exclusive contract with Ring of Honor.
1: You mentioned that you weren't able to get any ring time at all, correct? During the time off,
0: yeah, I hadn't been in a wrestling ring since um, February.
1: So, how did that first bump feel? Um. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's surprisingly okay I mean I actually i I had a couple like seconds to get in the ring before um, I had to do my match on uh, Friday on the first day of tapings and um, I saw somebody else like get in the ring and like just snap off a back bump and I was like oh that's a pretty good idea I should probably uh, do that now to <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you know nothing explodes on me when I do this <laughs> and so I got in and just you know snapped one off and yeah it's it's another one of those things where your your body is luckily just used to it i mean i I was thinking more about like um hitting the ropes um because that's one of those things where you you build up a callus and uh and without doing it for six months, I was wondering like, oh does that go away like am i is it gonna be like the like first couple of times I hit the ropes where like I've got this like you know mark on my lat and everything um and you know, I don't think I really even got to find out because when you're doing pure wrestling, you know, you're you're less likely to uh, be kind of sort of flying around the ring in that way. It's more tight and physical. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't think I even had to worry about that either. I, I think, you know, without getting into spoilers, I think in that match that I had that day, I don't think I even hit the ropes one time, so.
1: Okay. Well, I know that you live in New York City and we can hear every once in a while a little sound effect there that tells us that you are living in in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're living in one of the hot spots for this pandemic. Uh, What was that like, if you can uh, describe it? And uh, what else were you doing to pass the time during the quarantine?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely pretty intense for a while there. I think now um, New York is in a much better spot. And I think part of the reason for that was that uh, all of us here saw the reality of it. You know, like we we saw the numbers go up. We saw how how real it was. And by seeing that firsthand, we I think a lot of people here knew to take it seriously. Um, and I think maybe that's sort of something that's uh, sort of prolonging the things in other places is that um, they haven't seen it firsthand. Uh, you know, it's not as they're not as exposed to it. Um, when these things happen, you know, they, they happen out of their view. So they maybe are not taking it as seriously. And and I think, you know, it's a, it's a testament to how seriously maybe New York did take it, that now we, I, I think we're one of the better places as far as numbers go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was certainly intense. I mean, there was, I was spending even, even more time indoors than I usually do. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've been saying that like, I was kind of like, you know, I was made for this quarantine lifestyle is kind of cut out for it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty good at um, staying in the house. But yeah, it, it, I don't know, doing it to, to that level. I mean, at first, like, I wouldn't even leave um, my apartment building without like, um, spraying, like disinfectant on like every uh, doorknob that I touch because in like in the city, just to get out of your building, I mean, you need to touch sometimes like an elevator button. I live in an old school building where the, the elevator has a door on it, like with a, with a doorknob that you have to open. Um, so that's another one. And then the, on the way out of the elevator and then the, the door that goes to like the vestibule before you get to the street and then the door that leads to the street. And so like back then, you know, we didn't really know how COVID was um like transmitted so I was like being super careful with all the surfaces and everything I wasn't letting my dog play with other dogs which was like a a sort of a stressor because you know I didn't want her to get like unsocialized and turn weird um and so it's it's a real relief to see how much sort of better things have gotten here and now that we've learned a little bit more about how it's transmitted you know I feel more comfortable with certain things um but it still seems like apparently we've got a long way to go.
1: Unfortunately, I think we do. I think we do. Um, we'll cross our fingers though and, and hope for the best. Um, it's it's a, it's certainly encouraging though that we finally got to uh, do a show, get back in the ring, even though it was an empty arena. That's that's progress. So um, I'm gonna. Yeah, I it was.
0: I mean, like I I felt really like ecstatic to be doing it, especially as somebody who. Um, I mean, if you would have asked me a couple months ago i like i I would have really had to think hard about whether or not I was comfortable doing a show you know it would have really depended on the protocols, but then like uh, seeing you know how things have played out and seeing how well um, the protocols were handled, like I was just ecstatic the whole time to to be there and to be at wrestling and like um you know hanging out um after my match, you know, socially distanced up in the bleachers where like nobody was around me, but but just getting the chance to watch my peers, you know, get in there and and do what they love to do, which is um, something that I really love to do at at any wrestling show that I'm on in my whole career. I love to stick around and watch everybody do their thing. Um, And so just to get to do that again, was like, I was super ecstatic about it. And and yeah, I agree with you. It's like, it's very promising and it's such a relief that we were all able to go do that and do it in a way where everybody felt comfortable.
1: Let me go back to earlier this year. What was your initial reaction when it was announced that ROH was bringing back the pure championship and that you were going to be a part of it? Um, I can only imagine you were ecstatic because this is absolutely something that's right up your alley.
0: Yeah, I mean, ecstatic is definitely one of the words for it. Um, you know, I felt like everything sort of became clear. Like, um, I talked a lot about like paths in wrestling, like the paths that I've been on, the the paths that I feel that I need to take. And like, I I felt like for a long time, my path in wrestling was leading me to Ring of Honor. It was the place that, you know, um, when I was just viewing wrestling as a a fan, as a teenager, um, Ring of Honor was somewhere that like, you know, was showcasing the type of, you know, great professional wrestling that I want to see. And it was showcasing it in, in, America in places that I found accessible. And, and I felt like for a long time, a path is leading me there. Then when I finally got there, um, I, I walked into a ring of honor that didn't exactly look like um, the ring of honor that I, I envisioned. And so I felt like I had my work cut out for me um, and that I wanted to sort of reform and press restart on this place in any way that I could and, and bring to it the kind of wrestling that I hold dear and the kind of wrestling that, um, you know, people like me want to see. And, um, you know, when I tried to do that with this, with the group called Lifeblood that we formed, and um, I think everybody in that group did have a, a, a similar vision that I did, that that we wanted to, uh, you know, bring honor back to the company is what we were saying. We wanted to bring honor back to Ring of Honor and, and, and reshape it in, you know, it, in the greatness that that we believe that it can be when it comes to that in-ring, you know, wrestler-on-wrestler combat. But, you know, it's also a very chaotic atmosphere in in wrestling in general. And so, you know, it's hard to get that kind of thing done. And then, you know, there were injuries involved. There were people's careers taking them elsewhere. um, And all sorts of things that just kind of, like, uh, got in the way of, I think, what the, the vision was supposed to be and I think that vision was kind of lost. And, and so for a while I felt lost. And then suddenly one day I look online and I see that ring of honor is bringing back the pure title. And like I said, the path became clear and, and my focus became singular on that title and on that tournament, you know, doing everything I can in that tournament. And in every match that I have from that point forward to show the world that, you know, pure wrestling is still alive in ring of honor and that, heartbeat of Ring of Honor is still there and so you know that's exactly what um, you know I'm, I'm setting out to do for the for the rest of my time here and for the rest of my career is to show that you know true professional wrestling does live in Ring of Honor.
1: Once you knew that you were going to be part of the tournament and uh, actually for people who, who don't recall the tournament um, was originally supposed to take place I think it was in April uh, but obviously got canceled because of the Uh, or postponed, I should say, because of the pandemic. But when you found out that you were going to be in it, did you watch like old pure matches by any chance as far as like to to, to get some ideas or, you know, preparation?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm always kind of watching that stuff anyway. But yeah, I mean, I definitely did uh, look into some more specifically, uh, you know, Ring of Honor pure matches um, leading up to it and um, uh, focused on people that were going to be in the tournament. Uh, I was watching you know, Jay Lethal's uh, pure title matches and watching you know, Doug Williams pure title matches and, and, and all those things. Yeah.
1: Well, we have some uh, breaking news today uh, on the podcast, and that's that someone that you're very familiar with has now been officially announced for the tournament, and that is Fred Yehi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys go way back, right? You've been partners. You've been opponents. Uh, thoughts on him being in the tournament? Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, Fred Yeha is, is somebody who I've wondered why he's not already, you know, in Ring of Honor. I think he's like the perfect fit for this type of environment, especially in a pure title tournament. I mean, I think he's just like um, on another level, bell to bell. And, and I think he's really overlooked a lot of the time. And So um, I'm hoping, you know, that, like you said, he's a, he's a face from my past. He's somebody I'm very familiar with. Um, I've been, you know, tag team champions with him. In other promotions uh, I've, I've faced off with him several times in singles matches and uh yeah he's he's on another level and so um when i saw him you know announced for this tournament uh or when i found out that he was going to be in it I, was, I i it was even more validating that like okay this is real you know that they're they're really dedicated to finding um the people that that can make this tournament the best that it's going to be and make it a, a true version of of the pure wrestling that it's supposed to represent
1: absolutely yeah i think a lot of people are really excited about this tournament and uh i think it really does it's it's a callback to um the early days of ring of honor and what really set ring of honor apart i know i'm i could speak for myself as well like i I can't wait to uh to see it to these matches start airing on tv it'll be a it'll be a couple weeks and then we'll start seeing uh start seeing the pure tournament on ring of honor wrestling television we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more with tracy williams
0: think you know a lot about ring of honor well put your knowledge to the test against the top fans and stars of ring of honor that's right ring of honor trivia returns and it will be played across zoom to join get your team of three to ten and email rohtrivia at gmail.com Previous editions have seen near-perfect scores and former world champions, former tag team champions, and the top stars of Ring of Honor compete for Trivia Supremacy. You won't want to miss it. Sign up now, trivia at gmail.com to reserve your spot and your team's spot in this round of Ring of Honor Trivia.
1: All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is hot sauce Tracy Williams. Before we go any further, I should point out that Tracy is spotlighted in the latest episode of the Ring of Honor Wrestling Television Program, which is available beginning August 31st, which is today. That this, uh, Today's the day the podcast drops. Uh, you can watch it on rohwrestling.com. Uh, Tracy, I got to get this one out of the way. Uh, I know you've been asked many times in interviews how you got the hot sauce moniker. And I know that you've said it was Chuck Taylor, uh, who came up with it during a group chat when you guys were all throwing around absurd wrestling names. My question to you is, once he threw out Hot Sauce, what made you decide to actually say, yeah, okay, I'm going to go with that?
0: I mean, uh, yeah, I mean the whole name in general, I mean, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams is, I, I really enjoy sort of the juxtaposition between the sound of the name and the style of wrestling that I bring to the ring. Um, I like that it kind of throws people off. Uh, I like that uh, when people hear the name um, and then I, I come out and maybe it's their first time seeing me, they're thinking, wait, this is, this is Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. And then, you know, uh, the bell rings and, and boom, we're off to the races. And it's like they're, they're having to wrap their head around the fact that, you know, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams is this, you know, catch wrestler who's like in, in his opponent's face um, and fighting them. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy that juxtaposition. And then I think, you know, there's also layers to it. I, I love that, you know, the first name Tracy is like, it's not, you don't really see too many wrestlers with the first name Tracy. I mean, you know, it's Tracy Smothers. I, I, he's one of the greats. And then, you know, the last name Williams is just a great wrestling name. So many amazing wrestlers with the last name Williams, Dr. Death, Doug Williams, Steve Austin's real name, Steve Williams. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, there's, there's tons of layers to it. And uh, I like the fact that, you know, hot sauce at first kind of maybe sounds a little silly, but I mean, the sort of root behind it is that, you know, there's, I tend to have a temper in the ring and there tends to be a, a moment uh, in the match where you know, maybe I've been pushed uh, to a certain degree by my opponent uh, and, uh, you know, the, the switch flips and sort of, you know, you get into sort of hot sauce mode and that fire turns on and then you know things things get a little spicy (laughs) for my opponent so to speak um so yeah there's a there's a lot of layers to it and um i really do i really do kind of like the silliness of it i I like um you know sort of giving myself challenges as a wrestler i think it it makes you work harder and and it shows more of what you can do when you can sort of take something that is given to you and make it your own and see how far you can take it you know so Rather than sort of sitting around and, and trying to come up with the coolest name that I could possibly think of, it's like, you know, uh, you can sit around all day and try to do that, but it's like, okay, take this and run with it and, and see how far you can get with this. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I'm doing that. And I, and I think, you know, I prefer that than trying to come up with the most awesome name you could possibly think of. Right.
1: Well, just when you said that you can get spicy. For some reason, I immediately thought, wouldn't it a great tag team have been Hot Sauce Tracy Williams and he's hot, he's spicy, Curry Man.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's the stuff of legends. That's like some uh, Fire Pro Wrestling, uh, you know, fantasy booking right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's go back a little bit to uh, your pre-wrestling days. At what age did you become a wrestling fan?
0: Oh, I uh, became a wrestling fan very young. Um, I mean, kind of as long as I can remember. My my grandfather is a big wrestling fan, um, and he introduced my brother and I to it. Uh, he had like a big sort of tape collection. Um, you know, he didn't have anything too obscure. It was, it was like tapes of like WCW and just, you know, WWF pay-per-views and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, um, he lived in Canada. He's from Canada. And we would go up from New York to Canada, and uh, we would, you know sit in his house and just uh watch through this this big tape collection that he had of all these pay-per-views and so i mean that probably would have been like the early 90s or something like that um and so like the mid 90s but you know we were we were starting back at like the early 90s and working our way up to the current day stuff just going through this tape library and then you know since then kind of just been obsessed with it uh for always and, you know finding the friends who who were also obsessed with it you know that's kind of a a bond through which i've met a lot of my uh friends who are still my best friends to this day and um you know eventually they kind of sort of became less uh of a wrestling fan you know we we had a a strong bond as friends then but i realized like okay like i'm i still love this like i I really still love this and it seems like everybody else is kind of gravitating away from it and, and finding other things um in life that 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 is satisfying to them or, you know, they're, they're finding other avenues of work that, that work for them. But like everything in my head was still wrestling. And this is, you know, around the time when I was like graduating high school. And so I, I realized like, okay, well I got to chase this down. Like this is, this is the one thing that is bringing me joy and that is bringing me inspiration. And so, you know, why not chase it down? You know, I, I was, I had no interest in sort of existing in the world as a, as a normal person so to speak i don't know i, I just i in my, that's the way my brain was working where i, I just i didn't want to just you know have a, a normal job or anything like that and so like as soon as i graduated high school i was still living at home i just tried to chase down wrestling as much as i could and uh, you know, I joined a wrestling school uh took chinatown bus from new york to philly twice a week to go to wrestling training and you know i was, I was off to the races from there
1: so former uh, ROH star, current WWE star, Claudio Castagnoli played a big part in your uh, development. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Um, my main um, two trainers were Mike Quackenbush and, and Cesaro. And I, I credit Sarah Del Rey as well because um, she, was, she, she was coming to you know, pretty much every training session and, and acting as a sort of mentor to everybody. And always had you know great advice and just a great attitude. I, I think you know her attitude towards wrestling and just how much she loved doing it and loved training for it is something that I really related to and something that rubbed off on me. And um, you know um, Cesaro was the same way. Where it just like you could tell, like they were just like so in their element um, in the wrestling school and you know sharing that knowledge and balancing that knowledge off with everybody. And so I was just super lucky and super fortunate to. Um, have started in that environment in wrestling and and yeah I I think it had a a big part in um, you know my mindset in wrestling and how far it's taken me
1: everybody has different goals uh when they when they first get involved and, and when they first you know break into the business I think you had mentioned did you say earlier that that ring of honor that you were a fan of ring of honor right before you got into ring of honor and yeah that was kind of a destination place for you
0: yeah, it was. And um, it's, you know, your career takes you in a, in a strange path where, like, it was always somewhere that I really aspired to be and, and aspired to sort of do that style of wrestling and, and be on that level. But, uh, you know, when you first start off, like, I was I was just so in love with wrestling that I was just enjoying it so much, um, doing it where I was doing it and, uh, you know, being at the at the level that I was at. And uh, I think it also takes a long time for a lot of people to sort of um, find the confidence and believe that you can be at that level and that, and that you can hang at that level. A- and it takes a lot of experience to realize that you can. Um, and so I wasn't trying to get ahead of myself when I started and rush to Ring of Honor or anything like that or rush into that sort of environment. You know, I was taking the wrestling really well, but I knew I had a lot of experience to get under my belt before um, I felt that I could hang like that. And, and so. Yeah, I mean, I, I took I've been wrestling now for 12 years, and so you know it took a long time of traveling around the world and and surrounding myself with um, you know the best minds in wrestling that I could find and and learning off of them and then um, eventually sort of transitioning into a role to sort of share my knowledge with others and and in doing that that really builds your confidence too. Um, you know, for a long time I was uh, running seminars and, and stuff for another company that I worked for. Um, and being in that role really sort of boosts your confidence and, and teaches you more. You know, when, when you're forced to sort of explain why things are done a certain way to other people, uh, it gives you a better understanding of it. And, it. and it makes you sort of realize, you know, how much you do know and uh, sort of wakes you up. And so, um, yeah, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, I really, you know, turned the jets on and, and tried to make this the place where I could do what I do. You know, I'm fortunate that my path has taken me here.
1: Right. So it was a couple years ago, I guess it was the end of 2018. Uh, You got a couple matches in ROH, you faced Jonathan Gresham in, in one match. And then I think the following month you wrestled Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Now from my understanding, maybe, maybe there's a different story, but from my understanding, those were both just basically one-offs. Did you view those matches as a chance to possibly open some eyes and, and earn a contract? Yeah,
0: totally. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I was not under contract at that point. Um, I think, you know, there was, obviously if, if Ring of Honor is bringing anybody in, there's there's some level of interest there. Um, right. And so I was aware of that. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely looked at it as an opportunity and um, it was also kind of eye-opening that, you know, okay, here I am with this opportunity and I'm up against uh, guys that I've wrestled tons of times, you know, like guys that I see as peers and, and guys that, um, you know, I've had rivalries with uh, around the country. And you know, that was kind of like, okay, yeah, here we are. I guess this is, this is what makes sense. You know, like, like I said, I talk about the path a lot, but the, but the path is not always clear. It's like you have to take each step and then with each step that becomes your path. And looking back at those steps, I was like, you know, this makes sense. These are, these are guys that, you know, are, are my peers in wrestling and my rivals. And now, you know, this is my chance to show ring of honor and show the world that I belong here. And, you know, looking back, I, I think I succeeded in doing that, but, then you, know, you get your foot in the door here and now my work has truly begun to uh, you know, solidify my spot here in Ring of Water. And I, and I feel that that's work that I'm, I'm very much still doing. And so that's my current motivation now is to solidify you know, my spot at the top here.
1: Well, you mentioned that you'd worked with Gresham and, uh, and Zach Sabre Jr. before. And I was actually gonna ask you, uh, because you did have uh, some familiarity there, Was there a comfort level working with those two guys that helped take some of the pressure off? Um, Did you, did you feel pressure that, Hey, this is my shot. Uh, I've got to really do well. Did you put any pressure on yourself? I guess is the one part of the question. And did it help having guys in there that you're familiar with to maybe ease the pressure if there was any,
0: Um, you know, at that point, I didn't really feel the pressure because uh, you know, like I said, I didn't really rush. You know, I think if I was like a, a young kid being thrown into that position and then you know having to sort of sink or swim i would have felt that pressure but you know i was pretty seasoned at this point and so like anytime i step into a ring you know i i'm comfortable um and and that's a really fortunate spot to be in And, and i think it takes a lot of time to get there and so you know it's nice to finally be at that spot where, you know, there's always elements that, that you're gonna feel nervous about, and you're gonna wonder, like, you know, is this gonna lead to this or that or that? But at the end of the day, I'm lucky in that you know what I excel at is is wrestling, and so I know that if given the opportunity, and put in the ring, especially with somebody who I know knows what they're doing, I, I know that I can get the job done, and and so um, I'm very thankful that you know I'm at that point, and that I didn't rush, and that I and that I wasn't sort of throwing the deep end too much um i'm at a point in my career where yeah the pressure wasn't really there i just knew knew what had to be done and knew i had the tools to
1: do it and yeah continuing to do that right you went in you went in confident and and didn't overthink it and just let you know nature take its course so to speak you knew what you were capable of and you went in and and did it i remember watching both of those matches and thinking um yeah, like this is a guy that that needs to be on the roster. And obviously I wasn't alone in that thinking because you were offered a spot. Um, You were put in lifeblood, as you mentioned earlier, with uh, Mark Haskins, Juice Robinson, Bandito, David Finley, Tenille Dashwood. Uh, Did you know any of them? I mean, at all or well before you uh, were put into lifeblood?
0: Good question. Um,
1: No, none of
0: them. I hadn't met any of them. I think maybe I maybe met Haskins. Yeah, I, I met Haskins briefly, um, you know, at like a a, a weekend um, where like a bunch of people from all sorts of different um, companies were like in the same place, all doing different shows. I think, you know, I met him before, but I hadn't worked with anybody in, in Lifeblood before or really come to know them at all. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I never even really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, my first time meeting a lot of the people in that group were were when we kind of all got together and we were all like, Hey, we're all, you know, getting our foot in the door here. We've all got the same vision. So why don't we try to do this thing?
1: Yeah. I know I've heard some critics um, back when lifeblood was first put together. Some people said, you know, this doesn't seem to make sense. These guys don't look like they, and girl don't look like they, you know, would be in this, in the same group or whatever, but I think they really missed the point because Mm -hmm. that was the point was that, it was the idea was to combine all these different elements that ring of honor is, has sort of been known for, which is, you know, technical wrestling, uh, high flying wrestling. Um, You know, we had an international star with uh, Mark Haskins, uh, uh, multi-generational star, right. With, with David Finley. That was kind of the point of it was each one of the members kind of represents a core value of ring of honor. So, I mean, what, what's, once you, like, understood kind of the mission statement, like, what was, your, what was your feeling about being in there?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Kevin, you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, I was seeing a lot of the same criticism. I was like, oh, you're, you know, you're so close. You're, you're, you're kind of saying exactly what the point is. It just, right. you know, kind of look at it from, like, a slightly different angle and realize that, like, yes, this is what we're doing. We're saying that, you know, these, we all bring something different to the table, but we all have a singular goal in making Ring of Honor and Honor again. <laughs> But you know, uh, um, yeah. I'm sorry. What was the second part of your question there?
1: That uh, was just basically. I mean, you answered it. It was just you know what. What were your thoughts being part of that group once you knew what the group's uh, kind of mission statement? Was. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, and, and we you know we had our mission statement, but you know, faith throws you sort of a strange hand sometimes, and um, it you know it was a it was a rough path to uh, try to get things going, and, and things took some weird turns. But, um, you know, like I said, I think with each step you take, you know, your path becomes clear and it's not always what you thought it was going to be. And so, you know, I was just trying not to, you know, get too stressed out about that and and um, overthink, you know, where I was currently at and, and focus more on what the next step was. And, uh, you know, in doing that eventually it led me to this point where the next step is clearly the pure title tournament where I think... You know, everybody in there is going to have a chance to do exactly what the goal of Lifeblood was in the first place, which is to show that, you know, Ring of Honor is the place where the best professional wrestling on the planet happens, bell to bell.
1: What's that saying? The best laid plans? Goes waste. Um, yeah, about a, about a month or so in, David Finley, David Finley suffers a serious uh, shoulder injury. He's out. Not long after that, Juice decides to move to Japan and work exclusively for New Japan Pro Wrestling um, to Neil Dashwood and ROH part ways. So now lifeblood is, is a trio. It's you and, and, and Haskins and bandito at that point. What is your mindset? Is it like, my God, what's going on? This whole thing is blown up or is it okay now? Now we'll really, like the three of us can still make this into something great. Well, um, it's a little bit of both, you
0: know, it's just, I think it's only natural to, uh, to yeah, wonder like, how you're going to make it work when when all these things are being thrown at you and you're being dealt this hand um especially when you've got all these other factors going on of like just the, the the chaotic nature of ring of honor in general where like we we constantly had somebody uh you know breathing down our neck whether it was like bully ray um trying to use ring of honor as his own personal like ego playground and taking issue with us for um you know being in the way of that <laughs> um, and that sort of distracted from the mission and then, or whether, you know, I had Flip Gordon uh, being hired to try to take me out and prevent me from doing what I was trying to do with Lifeblood, so that was a, a huge distraction. And so, you know, there's all these things that that get in the way, um, but you, you, you just, you can't let it slow you down too much because the train always keeps rolling. And there's always gonna be something that, you know, that gets presented to you and, and I mean, you know, I think, Bandito has kind of found that you know he's a six-man champion with you know people that that aren't even affiliated with us, but that's great. You know he's found something that works for him, and uh, and now I mean with me and Haskins, I mean Haskins is trapped in another country. He can't even come to the states and you know team with me. So everybody's got to readjust, you know, and uh, and the, the positive thing you know, there's very few positive things about this moment in the world, but when it comes to our, our little world of Ring of Honor and our little world of wrestling, this is um, a perfect reset where, you know, everybody can reevaluate what they're doing. And, you know, with Haskins trapped out of the country, Bandito, um, you know, not being able to come into the country and wrestle for Ring of Honor right now, um, it's, it's left me with a singular focus, which is to do everything that I can in my power to do the best professional wrestling that I can and, and and you know do the best for myself in Ring of Honor. And you know, that's a good position to be in where, where you're not really having to worry about anybody, anybody but yourself. And so the pure title tournament, perfect timing for that.
1: Yes, and as we know, Mark Haskins was originally supposed to be in that tournament as well. The original tournament that was supposed to take place back in April, but of course, like you said, uh, all the international competitors, there was eight of them, Haskins was one of them, that were in that original tournament can't be in it for obvious reasons. Uh, but speaking of Haskins, you and he really started tr- uh, tag-teaming a lot. Once you guys, once Lifeblood became a trio, uh, you and Haskins started teaming a lot. Was there instant chemistry between the two of you? I mean, because it seemed that way watching it, that you guys just worked very well together. Uh, or, or did it need to develop over time?
0: Um, I mean, it was it was pretty quick because, I mean, when you look at, the group of people that we had together in Lifeblood—I mean, like you said—we were kind of a you know buffet of all different um, styles of wrestlers. But I think the two closest portions would have been myself and Haskins, and so we were sort of naturally gravitated towards each other. Um, it, and I think we have a, a similar understanding and, and respect for you know the, the type of wrestling and the dedication that we have to it. And so, yeah, it was it was pretty natural, especially I think when you've been around wrestling for a certain time and you have a certain amount of experience um, it becomes easier and easier to form a tag team and, and to mesh your offense and defense with somebody else's game plan. And so I think Haskins and I really benefited from that. And uh, you know, I, I think we could have really made something great happen as a tag team. I think we were, we were you know, slowly, but surely starting to gain some momentum. But Like I said, reset button's been hit once again. So right. we're going to have to
1: reevaluate on that. Well, you guys worked some. Uh, you had some great matches. Any any particular matches that uh, I mean, there's a few in my mind, but any for you that stand out that you and uh, you and Haskins had during your uh, your tag team run before we uh, had to hit the pause button. Um, I
0: remember the 30 minute Iron Man match with uh, Johnson Gresham and Jay Lethal.
1: Yeah, that's one. <laughs>
0: yeah, that that was like you know Mark and I have probably only teamed twice before then. I think it, we really had not teamed very much. And then to jump into a 30 minute Ironman match is quite a task, especially against two of the greatest wrestlers on the planet. And, you know, one of the greatest teams on the planet in Gresham and lethal, the current tag team champions. And um, yeah, I think that was like, you know, one of those moments where we really had to, that was a sink or swim moment where we had to prove whether we meshed or not. And uh, it was a, a positive, you know, outcome on that. We, we didn't win the match, but we—I think—we came out of it with a better understanding of each other, and with an understanding of what we were capable of as a team. And um, it's just like I said—you know—I I, I like challenges as a wrestler at this point in my career. And um, going into a 30-minute Ironman Man match like that with somebody who you only teamed with twice was, was certainly a challenge, and, and one that I was glad to overcome.
1: Yeah, that—that's a match that definitely stands out. It, you guys also had some good matchups against—I um, mean—guys like the Briscoes. Uh, Evil and Sonata Rush and uh, Rush and Dragon Lee I mean all of them basically tag team dream matches I would say
0: yeah I mean one of them is certainly a dream match because I think I was uh, asleep for half of it <laughs> in dreamland not unconscious <laughs> with uh, Rush and Dragon Lee so yeah. uh, I don't remember much of that one but uh, you know whatever hopefully it was fine I can't watch Japan okay
1: All right, well, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be back with more with Tracy Williams right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we're back on the ROH Strong podcast. My guest is Tracy Williams. Uh, before the break, you had also mentioned uh, Bully Ray. And you got to work a hardcore match with him, which, you know, obviously everyone knows you for technical wrestling. Um Hardcore, not necessarily your forte. What was that like working that kind of match with a veteran who's obviously been in many, many of those matches?
0: I mean, it was interesting and it, it was different than I would have thought because, you know, I would have thought, um, you know, growing up watching wrestling in like the, the 2000s and the 90s and everything that being presented with the the chance to fight bully ray in a hardcore match you know i'd be like oh this is awesome like i I, you know i I, i'm really glad i get to do this but instead like you know at that point i just hated bully ray so much that like i just wanted to like whoop his ass and and Mm -hmm. and do it in whatever way that i could and and you know rub it in his face that i could do it in his style of match um and so yeah i mean that was certainly an interesting experience um you know walking down the ring with a trash can full of garbage to to fight bully ray with um but as far as being a technical wrestler and and being in that position i think it's like you know i'm i'm known as a technical wrestler but like really what it is when when it comes to technical wrestling is it's just fighting you know it's it's fighting without the use of um other sort of gimmicks and so uh it's not just you know slocks and escapes it's also you know, it's it's gritty and so it's really it's not that far off from a hardcore experience if you just introduce those elements into it um and and you know having been around for a little while I've I've been in you know situations like that before so I, I didn't feel like I was you know in over my head I, I felt like I was uh right where I was supposed to be and, and ended up Winning that match, which is you know a nice little feather in my cap in my career, you know, beating Bully Ray in a hardcore match, so I'll, I'll take that one with me. You know.
1: For sure, not many people have that one on the resume. Uh, but you, you make a great point, though. When you yes, you were labeled a technical wrestler, but anyone who has watched you in the ring, um, there's nothing I don't know soft or anything or you know uh, easy about it. I mean, it's very hard hitting and. I think you're the type of guy that maybe at first glance people will look at you and maybe you're not that physically imposing, but then once the bell rings and once they see your offense and your strikes and everything else, it's like, wow, he can, he can do some damage in there. So I get, I get your point about your style, not necessarily being that far off from a hardcore match. It's just basically legal what you do and, and doesn't, doesn't involve, you know, trash cans and, and chairs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. I think that's um, it's something I sort of you know enjoy about my career is that you know, I, I think i maybe helping in some way to reshift the perception of, of, of what you know a wrestler has to look like or something like that. I mean, it's like you know, we live in a in an era where mixed martial arts is you know one of the biggest um, you know, sources of entertainment for people in the world. And, there's all different, you know, weight classes and mixed martial arts and all different body types. And, you know, not everybody looks like a bodybuilder, you know, right. our, our job is not to have the biggest muscles. Our job is to be the best fighter. And those two things don't always look the same. And so, you know, it's another one of those evolutions where, you know, I'd, I'd like to see people start to understand more that you know, athletes look all sorts of different ways and don't always fit into one mold.
1: One thing that surprised me, pleasantly surprised me, was uh, your promo skills. For whatever reason, I don't know, I had this preconceived notion that, um, I don't know, I just thought maybe that was like, you, you're you're known for what you do in the ring. And as far as the stick work, it was just going to be okay. But once you started cutting promos, I was, like I said, I was, it's, it's actually one of your strengths, I think. Is that something that you've had to work on over the years to kind of hone that or, um, or do you think I'm completely off pace and you've always just kind of been able to cut a promo?
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I never really thought if I had to uh, work on it or not. I think a lot of it is experience. And a lot of it is confidence, you know, like uh, it just building confidence over time and knowing that, you know, you, you can talk comfortably about what you're able to do. Um, and, and bring the energy that you bring into the ring um, with you when you stand in front of a microphone and um, yeah I mean I think it's one of those things where it, it's another one of those sort of um, pre-conceptual kind of things where when people just take a look at somebody and they think like oh this is a, a stripped down technical wrestler and so he's probably you know um, bland or or can't speak or, or anything like that and just you know talks in the ring with his with his wrist locks and his roll throughs and that kind of thing. It's like, uh, you know, I, I understand that. I, it's only natural to, to bring in a conception when, when you see somebody, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's another one of those things that, you know, I, I like to keep as sort of a, a hidden weapon and, and surprise people with. Yeah.
1: Well, I can't end this without asking you about Madison Square Garden. And uh, I'm sure you've been asked this question before. Obviously it's a natural question because you are a New York guy. You grew up in New York City. Um, Work in MSG for a guy. Obviously, every it's it's a big deal for every wrestler, and probably every performer to get to work Madison Square Garden. But did it mean more to you? Do you think, or it was it more special just because? I'm sure you probably have been in the building as a fan and probably walked past it and all those things.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely. You know, I don't want to you know compare my experience to anybody else's. I'm sure you know it was special for everybody, but but certainly, I mean, it was like I think. I don't know this for a hundred percent fact, but looking back on my childhood, I mean, the the first wrestling show I ever went to, I'm fairly certain was a a house show, a WWF house show at Madison Square Garden. It was like, it was one of those like treats that I I had as a kid now and then to, to be able to to be up in the bleachers at a a Madison Square Garden show uh, for WWF. And it's also one of those things where like, as a New Yorker, it's just this like presence that's like looming over you because you know, Madison square garden was, was built, um, where the original Penn station was. And the current Penn station is still underneath it. Um, and so it's like every time, you know, as an independent wrestler, I'm like taking a train to get somewhere for a show or, or taking a train in the city to get somewhere in the city. There's just this presence of Madison square garden looming over you. It's, It's this like, you know, they call it the Mecca for a reason. It's there. It's huge. It's ominous. And, um, yeah, it's the kind of thing where you try not to get ahead of yourself as a wrestler. Like I said, especially as somebody who really just loves doing it, and and I really loved being on the independence and everything. You don't always imagine that that's going to happen, you know. And and so to actually have it happen and you know walk out there, walk down that ramp, especially get in the ring and face off with Minoru Suzuki um, in Madison Square Garden and exchange strikes with Minoru Suzuki in, in the middle of. of Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling Ring, was, yeah, extremely surreal. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm guilty sometimes in my career of not always appreciating um, the the things that I, I would have thought were so extremely cool, you know, when I was a kid. And that was one of those things where, where it really did sink in and it really did settle in. And it really has stuck with me as this sort of legitimizing moment in my career and, and this um, great, you know, again, feather in my cap that really sort of... Uh, Makes a a lot of it, you know, worth the while and and feel like I'm doing the right thing and taking the right steps.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about that exchange with Suzuki. Uh, If we could maybe pull back the curtain just a tad. Um, Was that a planned spot like you knew when you got into the ring at that point? I mean, was that discussed like we're going to have an exchange or was it one of those things where you got in the ring and hey, there's Suzuki right in front of me. Let's go. Yeah, I mean,
0: I'll I'll pull back the curtain. It was exactly the second thing. He he didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, made, I shook his hand for one second in the locker room before then, just to introduce myself. But no, that was that was not something that was like a, a planned interaction. It was just the kind of thing where, like, you know, I'm here. I'm in the moment. This is a, the battle royal and in Madison Square Garden. I'm getting into the ring. There's Minoru Suzuki. I know exactly what I'm doing i'm running across this ring pulling him off whatever sucker he's got in the corner right now and and we're throwing hands (laughs) so yeah i mean i i think i'm I'm glad you asked because i think that's something that, that really makes me uh feel happy about it when i think back on it is that it wasn't sort of this like contrived preconceived like um planned moment by like creative or anything where they like you know ran it past him ran it past me no it was just like totally natural just slide in the ring and pull off like one of the biggest badasses in the world and start fighting with them.
1: Right. <laughs> you also got to mix it up with and Thunder Liger a little bit, which. Yeah. You know, and a make sure here. to waddle
0: over to him and, and get a little bit in with them as well.
1: <laughs> Two things to scratch off the bucket list right there.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of your bucket list and, and questions of that nature, uh, we're going to take our final break. And then if you're willing, Tracy, we'll play some 10 questions when we come back.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm ready. I think.
1: All right, I got the ten questions, and uh, hopefully you'll give me ten answers. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll be back. I'm Manor the Maltmaker. I am Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Goliath. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Tia the Wizard, and I'm Quinn McKay. And to see what character I'll be playing, you'll have to check out the next episode of Roleplay of Honor.
0: Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor.
1: Alright, we are back on the RH Strong Podcast. My guest once again is Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. It is now time to play 10 Questions. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Tracy, are Are you
0: you ready? I'm nervous. Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, pacing around in the bubble again waiting for my (laughs) first match back in six months. I have no idea what you're about to throw at me.
1: Ah, it'll be less painful than a chop from Suzuki. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question number one. I've already kind of uh, given it away. What's something that's on your bucket list? And this doesn't have to just be wrestling. It could be, you know, life. What's something that you'd like to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the Tokyo Dome would be amazing. Um, you know, I, I try not to uh, set these like sort of hardcore goals for myself, and then, you know, because then you get fo- too focused on what exactly you're doing to get there and what that line from A to Z is. Um, I like to let, let my path form itself. But uh, having to think about it, I think the Tokyo Dome would be a really awesome experience that I would, I would
1: like to experience in my career. That's a good one. That's a good one for sure. I'll tell you what, as a as a wrestling fan and someone who is, has worked in the wrestling business myself, um, behind the scenes, that's a goal of mine as well. I, I'd love to, to see a show at the Tokyo Dome at some point. So, uh, If anyone from the office is listening, that's uh, <laughs> I'm available. My passport is up to date. All right, question number two. Do you have any hidden talents?
0: Oh, hidden talents. Um... Yeah, I mean, I like to, I like to think I'm an amazing singer. You know, not really? to brag or anything, but yeah, I like to think I've got a, a little bit of a voice on me. Uh, I can can play a couple little ditties on the piano as well. I, I think I'm, yeah, I guess people don't really know. I, I'm pretty musical, I think. Not classically trained or anything, but I think I've got some chops in there somewhere.
1: Okay. Uh, how, how would you, where do you put yourself on the, uh, let, you know, compared to Joe Hendry, where are you? Ooh.
0: I mean, it, it, that's tough. I mean, Joe's pretty good. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I haven't tested myself in the way that Joe has. I mean, I've, I've heard Joe sing, like, live on, on the mic, like, doing, like, a, a run-through of an entrance before, and I thought it was, like, his uh, regular video they play. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's got the voice of an angel, like Joe Henry.
1: He does. All right, I'm going to make a note. At the next ROH Unauthorized, you know, where we get a little silly sometimes, I'm going to propose a, a, a singing contest between you and Joe.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> see how that
1: goes. <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, <"What?" laughs> might have to break down into a wrestling match, I think, you know, I may yes, out there of and course. realize that I'm in over my head, I stick to my guns.
1: Well, I got to admit as as good of a See, I've never heard you sing, but I'm going to take your word for it that you're both good singers. I'd still rather watch both of you wrestle each other than sing.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree.
1: All right. Question number 3. Who's the funniest person in the ring of honor locker room.
0: Oh wow, funniest person in the ring of honor locker room. Um, wow. I you know who gets me a lot is uh, Vincent. You know, I think maybe it's just part of his uh, psychotic nature or something, but his sense of humor really clicks with me. I think a lot of people wouldn't really expect that, but yeah, Vince, Vincent's got some some real zingers that really get me.
1: Yeah, I think I think that might be, I think we might laugh because it's it's like nervous laughter, right? When you're, <laughs> it's like whistling in a graveyard, right? It's, yeah, right. If we listen to what he says. It's like, oh, let's just try and laugh it off. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, question number four. You have a favorite line from a movie? Oh, wow. And if not, just a favorite movie. But is there a line that kind of resonates?
0: I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. It's definitely not something that jumps to mind. I mean, if I have to think about movies that I really like, uh, for whatever reason, what comes to mind is Old Boy. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a um, Korean movie.
1: I do not know. I'm not familiar with that one. It's really good.
0: I would recommend it. There's a really good fight scene in it that's like a really long, stretched out, singular take. Uh, and it takes place in like the, uh, a hallway that's shot in a really interesting way where there's just like a, uh, like a hundred sort of guys coming at the main character that he has to fight off it's a, it's a very um sort of um, dark and interesting movie I, I like i like the movie old boy a all
1: right well i'm gonna check that out because uh, it, i like dark movies so i think uh you you uh, piqued my interest yeah it's a good one all right question number five this is one of those deep thoughts kind of questions if you could have a conversation with any person alive or dead who would it be hmm
0: I'd like to talk to. mm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with uh, somebody who has passed, just because you know, when presented with this type of question, it's like, uh, since it's completely hypothetical, it's it's sort of impossible to have that conversation. So in this situation, I would I would pick somebody who is deceased, and I would would pick the late great Billy Robinson. I would love to pick his brain about um, professional wrestling, specifically, um, as you know, he's somebody who has such a high level of skill when it comes to uh, catch wrestling and and then has also added so much to the world of professional wrestling that I I would love to have had the chance to um, pick his brain on that and and see what I could learn from him, the late, great Billy Robinson.
1: Well, I could definitely see that having, you know, watched your matches and knowing your style. um, I could definitely see where you would say that Billy Robinson, certainly one of the, the great shooters, right, of all time. Mm-hmm. All right, question number six What's the first concert that you attended? Oh boy, this <laughs> <laughs> is embarrassing, guess, isn't it?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's that's this question always kind of is right. It's just like what there's like different flavors of embarrassing. Right. Um, and I think mine is a very specific flavor. I think the first concert I ever went to would have been the Insane Clown Posse. Which, okay, see, that's
1: uh, not that's not that embarrassing. Uh, I thought yeah, you were I don't I don't like want to say
0: embarrassing here. because I think that the that ICP are incredibly great people, and, and I think that um, you know they're absolute legends, and I think they've contributed so much to everything that they've taken part of. I just think that you know there's a stigma to I don't know what people think about, um, I guess the, who attends those concerts. But I mean, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Embarrassing is definitely the wrong word because you know. I stand by ICP as people. I, I stand by their their stance on things, and, and I think that they've really evolved, you know, and, and shown that just because you have a certain stigma about you doesn't mean that you can't like grow as a as an artist and grow as a person. And um, yeah, so you know, what's the ultimate respect to ICP.
1: Yeah, n- nothing wrong. I, yeah, I mean, I didn't have you pegged as a as a juggalo necessarily, but again. I- <laughs> It's you know my preconceived notions and uh, and I shouldn't judge like that. So, <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. All right, question number seven. Do you have a favorite sports team? Um, I I mean,
0: I don't know. I guess so. Uh, being from New York, it's really tough. Like because there's like the obvious choices, and I never I was never a baseball fan. I don't really like baseball. I like basketball. And it's tough being like a Knicks fan, you know? And so I really respect like the true Knicks fans and I don't claim to be one because I think in order to be like a Knicks fan, you really need to like be, you know, in for the ups and downs and everything. And um, you know, I just, I I never really tuned into that level. So um, yeah, and I, I was never really big into sports because I was so in love with professional wrestling for my whole life. And it's like the whole idea of professional wrestling is that it's like a sport, but it's a sport that's made um, as entertaining as it can possibly be, you know. And so like to watch other sports um, that didn't have that goal behind them, I was just never as enthralled with them as I was with professional
1: wrestling. Huh. Well, you've surprised me again because I knowing your, your, your New York City upbringing, I, I thought for sure you were going to say the New York Yankees.
0: No, I mean, like I said, it's just kind of obvious, you know, and and it's kind of like, uh, especially as like a teenager, I was sort of like a contrarian, just went against whatever I could go against, (laughs) and so I I never really ended up as like Yankees fan or anything like that, especially, I don't know, baseball just kind of bored me to tears every time I saw it.
1: Well, you got to understand all the subtle nuances, Tracy. There's so yeah, much. More pitch.
0: I appreciate that. And, and since since growing up and, and becoming an adult, and have gone to baseball games, and it's 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 a really great experience to go to a live baseball game. So I, I do understand um, why people love it. You know, okay. and, and I think that you know, going to a live baseball game is a really great experience, and I do recommend that anybody does that if they can. But once you know, hopefully, once things are back to normal and safe, that it, you know, we can all go and, and enjoy those sort of things.
1: Yes, I would love to be back at a baseball stadium or a football stadium or any stadium at this point. Um, question number nine. Here's a silly one, but I'll ask it. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, that's that's a
0: good one. Maybe, um, maybe teleportation would be really great.
1: That's a good one. Um,
0: yeah, I could, like, you know save a lot of time and money on on transportation to and from shows, you know, just boom, pop up at the building, right at call time, which would be really novel for me, um, perpetually late. Uh, but then again, I, if I went with um, teleportation, then I would never again have an excuse for being late anywhere. And so that would that would be a really, you know, it's kind of like the, the downside of that one. <laughs> that like, if you ever show up late anywhere, they're like, you have no excuse, you can just teleport here.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I have a little lateness problem myself uh, from time to time. Oh, yeah. Lifelong. Lifelong for me. but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some people in wrestling can actually teleport. You know, the lights go out, and, uh, and they come on, and there they are.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. I got I to gotta hit up Sabu and find out how he does
1: it. Yeah. I always wondered <laughs> that. All right, this is the last one. Question number 10. Other than pro wrestling, what are you passionate about? Mm, I or mean, is there I was, anything else besides pro wrestling?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there certainly is. I mean, I'm passionate about enjoying life. I think it's, like, it's so important that we all, you know, find a way to really enjoy our time here. I, th- I think, like, the world is just set up in such a way where it's just such a focus is put on, you know, working and grinding and, and, you know, contributing to all of the systems that we have to contribute to. And, and I just think it's, like, I don't know, I, I, I hope that everybody can find a way to in, enjoy their time here because, you know, life is short. And, and I think that, like, the, the more time you can have, with as little stress as possible and, and just enjoying and, and appreciating our, our time here is really important. So I, I try to find as many of those moments as I can, and, and I hope that you know, so many others will be able to do the same thing.
1: Very well said. Very well said. Well, before I let you go, uh, do you do the social media thing? Do you want to give out any of your social media handles?
0: Yeah, I can give it out. Um, I'm, I'm not as clinically online as a lot of other people are, but uh, you know, I would certainly appreciate to connect with anybody who feels that they want to, you know, connect. And, and, uh, my handle is at sauce underscore Williams on Instagram and Twitter. That's about as far as I take it.
1: Okay. <laughs> very good. Well, Tracy, thanks so much uh, for coming on today, giving me so much of your time. See, I told you we could get some, we'd get over an hour. <laughs>
0: yeah, all right. I'm, I'm shocked. You're, you're good at your job, Kevin.
1: Oh, well, hey, the interview is only as good as the interview subject. So, but uh, all seriousness, really, thanks so much. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thank you. I did as well. Thank you very much, Kevin.
1: All right. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels, at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. This is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong.